Welcome to this Euractive debate on green hydrogen. Is it really carbon neutral? I'm Brian McGuire. Our event today is supported by the Environmental Defense Fund. You can follow the debate at hashtag EADebates. Please tweet your comments there using the hashtag and our social media team will respond and amplify your comments today as well. To ask questions, go to the chat section and use the ask button. We'll bring our questions to the panel a little later on as well. As the EU moves away from its dependency on fossil fuel, hydrogen is expected to play a key role in our future energy systems and for delivering on the aim set out in the European Green Deal of achieving carbon neutrality by the, in the EU by 2050. The cleanest option of hydrogen is renewable hydrogen, often referred to as green hydrogen. It is created by putting renewable energy sources like wind and solar power through an electrolyzer and its only byproduct is water. Its production is almost emission-free, which is why it is the form of production which is generating the most interest amongst policymakers, scientists, and investors. In this Euractive virtual conference, we'll discuss what we know and what we don't yet know about green hydrogen, and when and how hydrogen can be most effective uh, to decarbonize Europe. We have a really distinguished uh, panel with us today. Uh, joining us is uh, Sarah Nealon, Deputy Head of Executive Vice President Franz Timmermans Cabinet at the European Commission. Uh, Tudor Consonesco is the Principal Advisor at DG Energy at the European Commission. Uh, Henrika Hahn, Member of the European Parliament, also Member of the ITRA uh, Committee there. Uh, Keith Bariski, he's Deputy Director of uh, Bellona uh, NGO. And uh, Johan Martens, he's a professor of the Faculty of Bioscience Engineering at KU Leuven. And Dennis Thomas, Global Business Development Leader of Electrolyzers at uh, Cummins. And Elisa Oko, she's the Senior Climate Scientist of Environmental Defense Fund, also uh, here in Washington. For each of you, 60 seconds just for your opening pitch and kick off uh, your stall today. Sarah, let's start with you, 60 seconds. Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Um, as a start, uh, maybe I want to go back to the origins of uh, the European Green Deal in the European Commission almost two years ago, where actually a lot was figuring also in the uh, commitments that President von der Leyen made to the European Parliament. And hydrogen was not immediately part of that, but it became very quickly a, a priority for this Commission. Um, and uh, even I remember two years ago, people said we were crazy to go for an ambition in the hydrogen strategy of 40 gigawatt of renewable hydrogen. Um, in the meantime, I think it's very good to see that actually the private sector is um, going beyond that already. If we count everything, it's probably going to be more than four gigawatt by 2030. So what has changed that Quick, or what, has, what is behind that quick evolution? I think one, the climate ambition of this commission um, needs ambitious measures in all spheres and hydrogen can absolutely contribute to that. Second, the evolution uh, and the, the speed with which renewable energy is progressing helps a lot uh, and renewables are needed for green hydrogen. Third, the industrial lead of Europe on um, electrolyzers, the research and innovation that we do, is an important element in why uh, we can push this agenda and why it's also good for our competitiveness, besides the element of um, the uh, climate neutrality by 2050 uh, that is high on the agenda. And last but not least, um, even if, of course, uh, what happened with the um, COVID crisis is something that everybody would have liked to avoid, 
um, it did create a momentum on funding, investments, and a forward look in all of that. So with the next generation EU and the new MFF, Financial Framework for Europe, we have 1.8 trillion that is mobilized and where an important uh, element of that, for instance, of the Recovery and Resilience Fund, um, can also be spent on um, these policies like hydrogen, where um, we also have a specific target of 37% of the recovery funds have to go to um, the green transition. And hydrogen uh, is one of the elements that we have promoted towards member states. And we see a lot of pickup of member states uh, in their plans for the recovery to also pay attention to hydrogen. So I would say in two years time, this has become a real agenda that has progressed well. And as my boss Timmermans used to, uh, has called it one year ago, hydrogen rocks and the commission is determined to uh, make it rock further and to develop the policies uh, that are needed to do that um thank you sarah i don't know how much time i have left before i will be cut but maybe i can end it uh, with this uh, i've, I've written a stretch 60 seconds uh, beyond 60 seconds uh, sarah rocks as well thank you very much for the very timmermans uh, approach to to uh, hydrogen uh, tudor uh, continesco uh, over to you 60 seconds sir Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me to this interesting event. It's, uh, it's a very important issue, the one you raise, and uh, it's very important for the, for the Green Deal, as Sarah said uh, before. And just to follow up on this, I'd like to say that last year when we launched the hydrogen uh, strategy, we actually launched at the same time the energy system integration strategy and the Clean Hydrogen Alliance. And these three work actually very well uh, together and complement each other because through the energy system integration, we have tried to promote an energy system where we speak also about more energy efficiency at system level, about resource efficiency, and make it all more compatible with the energy transition. And, uh, and in this process of economic recovery and towards the more ambitious green deal uh, targets we have for 2030, it was clear that we need to invest more over the coming years, more than expected before. But this will secure that we avoid stranded assets, we will avoid locking effects, and will actually help make the energy transition more, more successful. So the strategy is, uh, as, you, as you know, de developed on a number of uh, uh, key, key areas. So on investments, on infrastructure, on support, demand and supply, on international cooperation, on research and development. And we speak there about the strong component on investment, for example, on electrolyzers on the target of 40 gigawatts mentioned by Sarah, we identify about 40 billion euros necessary to invest, but we need to invest over 200, 300 billion euros in renewables for actually supplying the electricity for these electrolyzers. So it's putting in place an entire value chain and combining energy policy and industrial policy towards a more sustainable uh, future and towards the carbon neutrality objective of the of the Green Deal. In this process, of course, it's important to certify that the hydrogen uh, is, is really renewable or it is low carbon and we need guarantees of origin. And for this, we have methodologies in place and we work at European level as well as we work at international level with the International Partnership on Hydrogen Economy, at least to define a common approach and common methodologies in order to be able to compare later on in particular with a view to developing global international markets. At the same time, we need uh, to make sure that our 
co-legislative framework is in place and uh, supports this investment. And this year we came on this feed for 55 package, which I'll be happy to elaborate more if uh, you wish. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. We're going to speak a bit more about uh, methodologies uh, later on as well. So appreciate that. Uh, Henrika Han, over to you, 60 seconds. Good afternoon. Thanks. I'm, I'm happy to be here with you. Thanks for the invitation. So um, when we discuss the need of green hydrogen for a fully decarbonized energy system, we have to emphasize the importance of the energy efficiency first principle. For every 1% increase in energy efficiency, there's a 2.9 reduction in gas imports. And that's good to begin with, but we can do a lot more than that. So next to our efforts to increase the energy efficiency targets, we as Greens and the European Parliament fully support the development of a cost-effective and competitive renewable hydrogen industry. And green or renewable hydrogen is re referring to hydrogen that is produced with 100% renewable electricity via electrolysis. So green hydrogen will have a crucial role to play in the sectors where no direct electrification is possible, for example, the steel and chemical industry. It will also be key for a decarbonized transport sector, especially for long-haul road transport and maritime shipping. And finally, we need green hydrogen as long-term seasonal storage to provide a part of the flexibility we need in our future energy system. And unfortunately, today, the business case for the production of green hydrogen is weak, the cost for electrolyzers has to be reduced substantially by public and private investments into innovation as well as by economies of scale. So equality is important. We need a huge amount of additional renewable energy and national governments have to speed up in a responsible manner the permitting procedures for renewable energy sources. And we shouldn't forget, however, that hydrogen is a secondary greenhouse gas and has indirect effects on the climate. It's thus very important to reduce hydrogen leakage during its production, storage and use as much as possible. And to be very clear here, grey and other forms of non-renewable hydrogen are no credible solutions on the way to climate neutrality. And investing into blue or grey hydrogen with the intention of being a transitional technology can lead to stranded assets or high carbon lock-ins. And as a last point, furthermore, the leakage of methane, a greenhouse gas, which is 34 times more potent than CO2 in the production of natural gas, is another reason why we shouldn't invest in blue hydrogen. So we know the EU has important tools to fight against climate change. This is something that we have to take into account, and it's a great challenge and a great um, perspective for us. Thank you. Keith Risky, 60 seconds. Uh, cheers, Brian. Thank you. Uh, back to the original question of the debate, um, is green hydrogen really carbon neutral? And the question is, it certainly can be. If we use 100% renewable electricity, and that electricity it comes from additional renewables, that is the renewables that we build uh, above and beyond the renewables that we already have, and above and beyond the renewables we already need to decarbonize our electricity grid and our current electricity. The reason why additionality is so important when it comes to hydrogen deployment is that the scales actually get quite large quite quickly. So if we look at the current targets for 10 million tons of hydrogen deployment by 2030, we can convert that into the amount of electricity we need. And it's about 500 terawatt hours. This is equivalent to all of our current renewable electricity generation from wind. So every wind turbine you've ever seen around Europe, we're talking about using the same amount of electricity to produce a relatively modest amount of hydrogen by 2030. So we need additional electricity above and beyond what we already plan to deploy to produce uh, hydrogen, new electricity from renewables for new hydrogen production. 
If we fail to do this, then we'll end up diverting existing renewables to power hydrogen. And this means that we'll have less renewables for decarbonizing transport, de decarbonizing our businesses, and decarbonizing the grid in general. Uh, in the coming weeks, we're hoping for the uh, Commission to release a delegated act. This delegated act will cover the, the fundamentals and the methodologies over how electricity is accounted in hydrogen production in Europe. And it's imperative that additionality be included there, additionality be required to meet new hydrogen demand, and that additionality doesn't mean rebranding existing renewables or diverting existing renewables, but additionality means new renewables dedicated for hydrogen production and new renewables above and beyond the renewables who already need to decarbonize their grid. So yes, green hydrogen can be green, but only if we're deploying new renewables to meet its demand, and we use 100% renewable power to produce that hydrogen. Thank you, Keith. So we'll come back. Uh, also, Ireland, uh, as reading this morning, is facing a, uh, an energy crisis during the winter and for the, the coming winter. So we'll, we'll touch on that in terms of what, uh, what you just said. Uh, Johan Martins, over to you. 60 seconds, please. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so what is green hydrogen? Green hydrogen is hydrogen produced with electrolyzers. Uh, several of the speakers have mentioned this. And it means you need electricity and there's so shortage of electricity. So what can we do about this? Well, we go from wind or sunlight to electricity and then to hydrogen. That's three steps. So the key question is, can we eliminate one step and do it in one step instead of two steps and maybe this way make electric make the hydrogen less expensive and available for more applications not only chemical industry but also at transportation etc so can we do this um, so i believe so uh, you can in fact combine the functions in one device now the electricity production and the splitting of the water molecule is done uh, in separate devices you can join them in so-called photoelectrochemical cells, uh, which, which do the job, uh, which immediately produce hydrogen without the intermittency of electricity. So I think we, we should uh, really use all the means uh, and, and develop new means to make hydrogen in order to uh, cope with the huge needs of it in the future. So delocalized production from sunlight immediately on semiconductors which are generating charge uh, carriers and where you can split the water molecules inside this one and the same device. That could be a second option for making hydrogen for Europe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Dennis Thomas, over to you, 60 seconds. Yes. Thank you. So today I will uh, represent uh, the industry as manufacturer of uh, electrolyzers uh, mainly. Um, so the first thing I want to say is that uh, the industry is getting ready and is really uh, feeling, I would say, the market uh, developing a lot of projects. Uh, we see that the size of the project is moving towards the hundreds of megawatts and even uh, gigawatts um, around uh, 2030. The price of the technology of electrolyzers has already decreased uh, significantly and there is still quite a lot of room um, for a further uh, decrease. Also, we are always discussing about using electrolyzers in combination with wind and, and solar energy. And the technology has demonstrated uh, the capability actually to operate uh, very dynamically. And uh, finally, uh, we're investing into uh, new production capacity in Europe uh, at our level, mainly in Belgium, Germany, and Spain. And then when we come to the, the footprint of hydrogen production, uh, it is very clear that uh, the hydrogen that you will produce through electrolysis will be as green as the power that you will use actually to, to produce it. And so next to this, uh, I would say, uh, statement, 
there are a lot of topics that need to be considered together uh, with how actually you can certify a renewable hydrogen. There is also the fact that you need to store the hydrogen between the moment it is being produced and the moments where you need to uh, consume it. Also, you need to transport the hydrogen from the place where it is being produced at very low cost using renewable to the demand centers. You need also to consider the economics of the complete chain from power generation to the consumption of hydrogen. And obviously the topic of uh, hydrogen certification will be key, not only, uh, only for Europe, but also in the international framework, if we think about importing large quantities of hydrogen uh, coming from, uh, from abroad. So these are the main uh, ideas uh, wanted to support in that uh, initial statement. Thank you, Dennis, excellent. Uh, Elisa Oko. Hello, I'm really happy to be here and talk about such an important topic. So my research focuses on improving scientific and public understanding of how our emissions of different types of greenhouse gases impact the climate in both the near and the long term. And so one area of research I work on is the role of hydrogen leakage in contribute change. And so not many people know that hydrogen is a powerful indirect greenhouse gas that can trap 200 times more heat than carbon dioxide for equal mass. So this can seriously undercut the climate benefits of replacing fossil fuel systems, even with green hydrogen. And so, but what remains unknown is how much hydrogen leaks from infrastructure, and we don't have the systems in place to make the required measurements. So the extent at which hydrogen applications can benefit the climate in the near to midterm will depend on how much hydrogen leaks into the atmosphere. And so overall, hydrogen can play an important role in decarbonizing those segments of the economy that can't be electrified, but only if we minimize leakage. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Sarah is going to be with us uh, for about 30 minutes more, I guess. So I just want to uh, spend a little more time uh, and this earlier part with Sarah and, and we'll rebalance as well. Sarah, the first one thing that struck me is you hydrogen wasn't a priority at the beginning of, of uh, uh, President von der Leyen's uh, mandate and it, it became one. What what was the change in mindset? It's it's not, you know, for those of us working in Brussels all the time, it's not normal for a, a priority shift to occur quickly and to see uh, the policy dimensions fleshed out so quickly either. So what changed this mindset and, and uh, why was it so strikingly done? Well, what you say about not uh, common to have uh, such quick changes. I think the last year, we don't have, last years, we don't have uh, uh, that many surprises with quick changes. I think the speed of the urgency of the climate crisis as well is leading us to solutions that we would not have envisaged before. And hydrogen falls within that category, I think. Um, because one of the criticisms you heard in the very beginning in 2019 was, well, we've tried this before uh, because hydrogen is such, of course, it's not a new uh, technology. Um, and so, well, that was one of the, the, the um, comments you often heard. Well, why would it work now? But I think that policy context, that urgency um, with each uh, UNFCC report uh, puts us, uh, the fact even closer to our eyes uh, that politically um, we cannot um, escape new technologies, new solutions uh, to be pushed um, because we have now even in law this commitment to climate neutrality by 2050 and this target 
within less than uh, 10 years, uh, 2030 is around the corner um, to get to min minus 55% uh, of um, uh, reduction in CO2. So this, this new policy context where climate is really an, um, a real policy priority has uh, forced us to look into um, also this solution uh, for now. And the political will in this commission is huge to uh, go for that uh, green agenda and that combination of political will, necessary funding, um, and a proper legislative framework, uh, which we are building and which is also built in now in the uh, Fit for 55 package that we delivered as a commission just before the summer, uh, are the factors that uh, that really can make it work. And it's amazing to see the developments also in the private sector, uh, because obviously it's a combination of both uh, public sector uh, or even uh, European level alone can never achieve um, what we need. Uh, but you see the development in the member states as well and the awareness of uh, that such solutions for, for instance, the hard to uh, abate sectors, but also the flexibility and the um, reducing the dependency on um, fossil fuels imports, uh, topical uh, even more than ever with the energy prices of today. Uh, the only real solution is um, uh, technologies like uh, green hydrogen to um, become also well, greener and more self-sufficient and reduce the dependency. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Sarah. Uh, Dennis, you, you, on the industrial side as well, you, you sounded less optimistic about the speed at which this change can happen in terms of, of capacity. Uh, do you think that the, the shift in terms of capacity uh, can be scaled up quickly enough? Or you, you talk about 2030 and, uh, and megawatts, not gigawatts. Yeah, and what we're hearing consistently from all our panelists today is uh, about uh, electricity uh, capacity as well. That we maybe don't have enough electricity to move uh, to, to this uh, process quickly enough as well. How do you see it, Dennis? Do you think we have a capacity issue which is going to um, limit our ambitions? Well, I think is that, uh, in fact, we need to think about um, developing the capacity where it is abundant. And there are some regions in, in Europe where um, say there is a lot of potential to, to deploy additional uh, renewable power, where actually there is no grid infrastructure. Uh, there are some places like uh, Spain or even uh, Scandinavian countries where that can actually you can install a lot of uh, wind and, and, and solar uh, PV systems, but where you have a problem actually to connect uh, to, the, to the grid and where hydrogen is a wonderful option actually to transform that renewable energy and then to transport it the places of uh, consumption and so the the infrastructure uh, is key there and then we also can decouple uh, the the issue of uh, let's say uh, electricity from hydrogen just by converting directly on site to uh, to hydrogen i think that's uh, certainly uh, um, one way to approach that uh, equation the infrastructure development as well sarah outlined the, the huge amounts of money they're invested in the green deal and what the member states are doing with this as well but if, from your perspective is the infrastructure capacity there now can we uh, shift from natural gas resources to to deploy in in the, the hydrogen side of, of the equation you know, how quickly can can we move uh, to develop the necessary infrastructure to ensure that we have the capacity to produce enough uh, green hydrogen First of all, we speak about uh, two, two things, the, the production of hydrogen, and it's clear for that, as I said before, we, we need to install extra 80 to 120 
towards an electrolyzers, uh, a renewable capacity for the electrolyzers we plan to have in Europe by 2030 to, to satisfy the 40 gigawatt target. But in addition to this, it is true that sometimes the centers of production of consumption may not uh, be in the same place. Also, in many cases, there are, for example, industrial clusters in coastal areas, and the role of ports is very important here. But in case it's not, we, we need to, to develop the infrastructure also for transport of hydrogen. And to a large extent, in particular for uh, transport level, we look also at the gas system. And this is part of the uh, gas market package we are going to revise in the second part of the year and to repurpose uh, a transmission level gas infrastructure to, to transport hydrogen. And this would cost 90 up to 90%, between 70 and 90% less than to, to build completely new infrastructure, for example, if it is to transport by pipelines. Additionally, even in the strategy, we, we identified a very important role for hydrogen in, in our relation with our neighbors, in particular in the neighborhood policy, in South and uh, Eastern Europe. And there is a big potential for renewable uh, hydrogen production there as well. And uh, the industry even identified up to 40 gigawatts in addition to what we have at the EU level for, for 2030. And this would be part of an investment agenda and also of a cooperation which we develop with, uh, with these neighboring countries and where hydrogen can be produced and then brought either through existing repurposed infrastructures or through ships or other means. And uh, not to forget that uh, at the end of the day, there is a big potential for a global market to be developed and there are different ways to transport hydrogen, either directly or, or to be converted into, into ammonia or methane or other uh, synthetic fuels. Let me just ask Sarah on this as well. Sarah, from what you're describing, you, we don't have huge oil resources in Europe, but uh, could we become a global leader in the export of green hydrogen? Or are, are we thinking in those terms? Our strategy uh, that we adopted by last year, um, that we have uh, this target of 40 gigawatt uh, renewable uh, electricity ele electrolyzer capacity. It's also 40 gigawatt that we would import from neighboring countries. Um, and of course, one of the comments uh, we then get is, "Well, are you gonna replace the dependency uh, on uh, fossil fuel?" of third countries by dependency on uh, renewable hydrogen from third countries? I think the answer is, uh, is, is, uh, is not that difficult. Um, actually, the uh, range of countries we can work with is much wider than the fossil fuel producer countries, because uh, where you have the sun, you can uh, basically produce um, hydrogen or green hydrogen. So that is already geographically a real uh, difference. And it's not one or the other. Um, it is, uh, yeah, imports from countries where uh, the sun is more abundant than today uh, in Brussels. Um, but uh, we also have capacity in Europe, and we are developing uh, our own um, um, expertise there. So it's not just a dependency on uh, the outside world. It's also uh, our own capacity um, that we could develop. So for us. Uh, in the strategy well we see it as a win-win okay thank you uh, i want to come back to this in just a moment but uh, enrique you know what we're hearing here are you satisfied with what uh, we see as as an ambitious 
agenda, the, the right noise have been made, or are you still concerned that there is uh, this blue-gray dimension which could look like a, a policy win at the expense of a longer-term uh, longer solid uh, policy for green hydrogen? Yeah, thank you very much for that question, because, of course, um, reality in the parliament is that we still discuss with our colleagues um, the definition of hydrogen or green hydrogen, because some, as I mentioned before, interpret it in a way as gray and um, not a green one. So, uh, But I think, as I mentioned before, um, of course, we know that hydrogen is not a silver bullet for every single problem we have. We need a massive increase in energy efficiency. We won't achieve the goals of the Green Deal uh, we, if we don't uh, take that into account. We need green energy, green, green hydrogen for our energy intensive industry and long haul transport, as well as seasonal storage to provide the flexibility for a decarbonized energy system in order to make the production of hydrogen competitive. Um, it needs a strong carbon price as well, right? Uh, but uh, as you were mentioning before, gray and um, blue hydrogen is are uh, st stranded assets. And, and uh, we really have great discussions in the parliament as well about that. Uh, when we invest now money in the context of the Green Deal, that we, from our green perspective, um, uh, say that we want to go or invest in the right direction now immediately and not, you know, take a sidewalk uh, in, a, in a different direction. Exactly that point to, to Elisa. If we're going to go in the right direction, is that right direction green hydrogen, Elisa, given uh, what your research says about uh, leakage and the short-term impact of carbon of, of hydrogen leakage as well. Are we measuring things in the right way to to be able to evaluate uh, policies on a like-for-like a like capacity? Yeah, I mean, we we don't know how much hydrogen is currently leaking. Um, we have measurements on hydrogen leakage from a safety perspective, but that detection threshold is a lot higher than what you need to consider for a climate perspective. And so the, um, the extent at which green hydrogen benefits the climate will depend on how much hydrogen is ultimately leaking. And so what we really need to do going forward is start collecting data on how much hydrogen is leaking from all infrastructure across the value chain. And we need to start including hydrogen leakage in our assessments of decarbonization strategies. Yes, it's a potent greenhouse gas, indirect greenhouse gas, but it also is short-lived. And so that warming impact is temporary. And the way that we evaluate climate impacts right now of our actions, we are looking at long-term perspectives over a hundred year time period. And so we are missing the real importance of the hydrogen leakage in affecting the climate in the near term. And that absolutely needs to be considered going forward in any of these strategies as we can, as we scale them up. Let me see if I get this right. So basically it's because it's short term, we're not measuring long-term impact, but if we scale up the volume of green hydrogen quickly in the short term, we risk doing a, a, a large amount of damage um, which has not been measured. Alyssa. Well, I mean, the, the hydrogen industry right now is a young industry. It's very small. So even if we were leaking a lot, it is very unlikely that it is contributing in any substantial way to the climate crisis right now. 
Um, but as we scale up and, for example, have a tenfold increase in production and consumption of hydrogen in the next 30 years, those hydrogen leaks, if we don't monitor them and, and get on top of the issue and minimize those leaks, it absolutely could contribute significantly to okay. radiative forcing in the near term. Okay, Dennis uh, disagrees. I'm going to bring him in just a second. But Sarah and, and Tudor as well. Sarah first. Uh, the, you know, there's still refinement to be done in this policy. It's not the moment to uh, understand the methodology that's been applied here to make sure that we're measuring uh, the right things and also to ensure that when we invest in infrastructure, we're investing in uh, infrastructure which has low leakage and that we can monitor that leakage uh, effectively. Sarah first, then Tudor. I think it's very important what Elisa said. Indeed, uh, perhaps the date is given that it's a small emerging uh, emerging uh, industry. Uh, but absolutely, I think it's important uh, in Europe uh, and elsewhere that this research is done, and um, we are still very much also uh, uh, with European money uh, financing research innovation in the area of uh, hydrogen. So this, this can be, uh, I believe, part of that. Um, what I also wanted to refer to still is um, what um, Henrique has said, and it's of course a very uh, known debate, uh, the colors of hydrogen, the green uh, versus blue and all other uh, colors that you might have. Uh, in our strategy of the European Commission of last year, it's clear that the end goal is definitely green hydrogen, renewable hydrogen. That is uh, what a priority is. However, we do see a role for low carbon uh, hydrogen, given the fact that, well, we have, we are setting uh, increased renewable uh, uh, energy targets, energy efficiency targets as well. But of course, this takes a little bit of time and we want already before 2030 as well, make good progress with hydrogen and um, with the, um, current uh, hydrogen, because the hydrogen that is used today, produced today, is for 96% um, uh, from fossil fuels. And to make progress with that kind of hydrogen already and decarbonize there where we are, um, well, what is currently grey, to move and do better in the very short term, we believe that um, um, we can do an effort because uh, we can eliminate up to 90% of those carbon emissions relating to today's uh, hydrogen production with carbon capture technologies. While we are aware of stranded assets for the longer term, we give the clear steer that this is not a long-term solution, but we believe for now that it has definitely a role in the transition to play with all the caveats we make for the longer term and the focus on green hydrogen in the longer term, renewable hydrogen. But we do think that um, for the grey hydrogen produced today, when we're talking about 9.8 million tons, that there we have to also look at um, some so intermediate solutions that are linked to um, carbon capture. Okay, thank you. Tudor, uh, the methodology, do we need a new dashboard to be able to measure this and uh, and to invest in the right infrastructure? Now, let me let me say and a little bit to, to continue also on uh, on what uh, Sarah has said. In in um, in in moving towards a decarbonized energy system and in carbon neutrality, it's essential to to decarbonize the whole the whole energy system and all economic sectors. And currently, electricity represents about 23%. But by towards 2050, in all our analysis, it moves towards half 
of the final energy consumption will be electrons, but half will not be electrons. So we need to decarbonize this other half. And in this other half, synthetic fuels, hydrogen in derived synthetic fuels will play an important role. So it's important to de decarbonize the molecules. We'll have also biogas, we'll have also biomass, but hydrogen and synthetic fuels will be uh, playing an important role. And when we say that, of course, we need to, to, to certify what they are and to make sure to have methodologies in place for counting them, to counting also the carbon footprint of the different methodologies indeed for production of hydrogen, being renewable hydrogen, being low carbon hydrogen, as defined also in the strategy. And from this perspective, it's important to, to, to look at, at the boundaries, to look at the allocation methods, to, to see effectively how we can uh, make sure that uh, we speak and we have a common uh, approach to, to encourage uh, also international trade eventually on, on this. Uh, last but not least, of course, uh, when we speak about hydrogen and the importance it can have for climate is, of course, the renewable hydrogen and then the low carbon hydrogen. So, but we also need to, to look at the, the aspects mentioned, including the leakage. So far, hydrogen represents just about one, two percent of the total uh, uh, energy resources. So, but this should increase to 10, 14 percent, depends on on, uh, on uh, the different scenarios we have uh, by 2050. And then it will play a more important role. But it is, first of all, uh, from the safety perspective that uh, uh, I'm convinced that uh, methodologies and testing and all this will evolve because safety is a very important uh, aspect. But secondly, is of course, the, the potential as a greenhouse gas. And uh, last but not least, not to forget, it's a, a relatively more expensive gas. We have to manufacture and we have all the interest not uh, not to leak it and not to lose it. So I'm uh, quite uh, optimistic in this respect that with all the analysis done by the IEA, by the GRC, by different research institutes in, in Europe and the US and, and Japan, we move into into a safe direction in, 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 this, uh, in this respect. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dennis wanted to respond to Lisa Morbing-Saran just before she uh, leaves the call, and then we'll go to uh, Keith and, and Johan straight after that as well. Dennis, you want to respond to what Elisa had said? Yes. <clears throat> the first thing is that hydrogen is not new. Hydrogen is already there. It's consumed by a lot, lot of industries, and this hydrogen comes from natural gas. So each time that actually we can replace gray hydrogen by green, we already reduce all the emissions which are related to the, the methane emission. Also, there are already pipelines in Europe. There's more than 600 kilometers of pipeline, 2,000 kilometers in, uh, in the US. So we can monitor. And I agree that it is important to provide the evidence that actually the leakage is, is minimal. But uh, it's, it's, it's counterproductive actually to say that it's, I would say, improving the, let's say, uh, not improving, but deteriorating the environment actually to stimulate hydrogen. Uh, when you look at electrolyzers, actually each time you leak, uh, you have a safety issue because most of the electrolyzer, they are placed into indoor environments. So if it is leaking during the production, you, will, you would actually stop the unit. So that's where actually on, on the transport, on, on the pipeline, on the trucks, that actually you need to implement that monitoring to actually provide evidence to the public opinion that uh, this leakage is, is very much limited. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, Sarah, we've uh, we've a few questions coming in. Um, I'm going to give you one of these. So Thomas asks uh, to Tudor or Sarah. Sarah, do you see a role for pink hydrogen? Not to confuse the issue any further. Do you see a role for pink hydrogen, like hydrogen 
produced from nuclear power? Um, well, I think there, uh, as Europe, we have one answer. There is the energy mix that is the responsibility of member states, and it's uh, up to them to define uh, that mix and whether they uh, have electricity based on um, nuclear or not. So that is existing de facto in Europe, so it is there. Um, and obviously, in terms of uh, CO2, uh, it has uh, all uh, its advantages, but that are, there are wider issues uh, related uh, to uh, that are non-CO2. Let me stop with that. Thank you. Okay. Just uh, before you go, I want to ask you about the, the role of member states in this as well. Uh, I know the Commission is not really focused on uh, stimulating the market per, per se in terms of what private actors do. You're looking at the higher levels of the infrastructure, the funding mechanisms that are available, and you spoke to some of those as well. In terms of what the member states are doing, where do you see uh, role models for, for other countries to learn from? Who's, who's doing this well? Where is the uptake coming from? Um, and uh, who, who's putting the uh, higher proportion of uh, finance in their, their countries into uh, green hydrogen production or hydrogen production for that matter? Well, we are very happy that this is, in fact, synergies between the European level and the overall um, yeah, policy framework that we want to offer, uh, synergies with national strategies in member states, uh, because there are many already who have their own national strategy on hydrogen. And uh, I think that is all uh, reinforcing one another. Um, which are the ones? I think where is the sun is one of the questions that you can ask. And uh, so in some southern member states, uh, there's a lot going on. But uh, what Tudor also mentioned, uh, there where you have ports and uh, the, their production on, uh, in, in those areas is also an, uh, an important uh, asset. So you have different developments. And what we try to do as a European Commission in, and in the EU is also to have that um, cross-border uh, cooperation um, that hydrogen doesn't stop in one member state. It should be a real European uh, approach where we have then also a, a, a more, more effective and, and scale, impact of scale and, and, and markets. Um, so we hope from a European level that we can help member states in um, yeah, making the links and offer an, um, an, a legislative supportive framework as well that uh, facilitates the, the cooperation be it in terms of certification, what do you call green hydrogen, uh, be it in terms of uh, funding of cross-border projects, um, et cetera. Okay, and so Neil, thank you much. Thank you, Guy, on this occasion. Thank you yes, very much. Yes, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. I appreciate that, that uh, you have been here and joined the conversation. Uh, so we'll, we'll see you again very soon. Sir Neil, thank you. Uh, so just before we go to uh, Keith and Johan, uh, Alyssa wanted to respond uh, quickly to Dennis and also to Tudor's remarks. Alyssa. Hi, yeah, I'm just very quickly. The safety concerns are a major issue with, with hydrogen that has been looked at, and there are a lot of sensor technologies that do detect that, especially indoors. I don't disagree with that whatsoever, but those are leakage detection thresholds on around the PPM level. And what we really need to know for a climate perspective is the PPM level, which is a very similar issue that we dealt with with methane leaking from 
oil and gas infrastructure. And what we found over the past 10 years is that the natural gas and, and oil industry was leaking a lot more methane than previously thought, even though around 10 years ago, industry was saying very similar things in terms of we wouldn't want to leak it and we're monitoring it for safety. And it was, it was a very similar story 10 years ago. And what we've learned over the past decade is that there are a lot more leaks of methane coming from that industry than anyone realized. And so that is could be a similar situation with hydrogen if we don't consider it going forward. Thank you. Keith, uh, additionality, uh, you know, Ireland uh, today, uh, the Irish television was discussing uh, how Ireland faces a series, a number of winters where the electricity grid simply uh, can't supply uh, enough electricity and the situation looks to be getting worse. Ireland isn't famed for its, its sun uh, and its capacity for renewable energy just now and this climate uh, change helps us with that. So, you know, for countries which are perhaps on the periphery of Europe uh, in terms of infrastructure, how do we get a European approach uh, to this where uh, we have a viable commercial market for green hydrogen? So I would say that at this moment in time, we're at a very delicate point when it comes to the methodology for certification of green hydrogen. So we have large targets to deploy hydrogen, but we're still at a point where we don't have large amounts of excess renewables because we're still decarbonizing the grid as we go. So we see this tension building up to the point where we know that some hydrogen producers would like to be on the grid, let's say in Germany or in Poland, and produce hydrogen all around the clock. So you end up delinking hydrogen from renewables entirely. And this doesn't give the incentive to deploy renewables. So if we're in a world where we don't demand new renewables to be deployed to meet the hydrogen needs, eventually you'll end up in a point where the hydrogen, well, the hydrogen hype will run out of steam because we won't have the renewables to power it. Uh, so it's very important that we don't greenwash hydrogen from the start. They will actually give it the right incentives to deploy new renewables to power that hydrogen so that we can actually grow the sector over time. And from the Irish point of view, I'd like to add that hydrogen has a fantastic wind resource and uh, there's a fantastic ability for Ireland to uh, produce hydrogen in the future. Ireland is actually a country that requested additionality be included in the Delegated Act for um, uh, Electricity Accounting and Hydrogen. So some of these countries on the periphery actually have, have the potential to have an oversupply of renewables at a point in time. So they actually might be the hydrogen hotspots in the future. While places where there's lots of industry, lots of things that can be directly decarbonized with electricity directly, lots of grids. So maybe the Western Germany, for example, that mightn't be the hydrogen production hotspots because there's so many other things you could use that electricity for directly and will give you a bigger bang for your buck for decarbonization in that way. Thank you. I'm going to bring Henrika in just a second, get the problems perspective on this. But Johan, uh, you said something interesting about uh, the types of, of uh, production and how uh, I think it was you, you, simplifying the process was essentially the approach that you take. You know, what did you mean by that? What do you see in terms of how that could be um, uh, more commercially viable and, and maybe perhaps speed up the process? Yes. Well, thank you. Um, there is a mismatch between uh, production sites, uh, availability of renewable energy, and, and uh, the needs of hydrogen. That's clear. Several people have mentioned this already. So um, how to, to do it differently is by using sunlight directly in panels, like the solar panels of today. You could build uh, hydrogen panels, which produce immediately hydrogen uh, from water, even taken from the air. And this you could uh, deploy anywhere uh, on Earth in Europe. Of course, it will, will work much better in sunny regions uh, and southern regions compared to northern regions. But there, you, you could have, uh, you could disconnect 
electricity production from hydrogen production. And I think that's very important because this competition between electricity production and hydrogen production is not good. We need both. We need a maximum of both. We are short of electricity and we are short of hydrogen. And so that's why we need to find a solution to make hydrogen uh, disconnected from the grid huh? in, a, in a way that is uh, autonomous and which can be uh, deployed in a decentralized fashion uh, anywhere for local use. That's that's a bit my vision on, but that's a okay. far future. It's not the immediate future. We're talking about uh, 2030, 2040, uh, because in the short term, I agree, eh? electrolyzer, electrolyzer, and more electrolyzers, that's the way to go. But uh, okay. there's a there's a max, eh? we will have 50% uh, by 2050, 50% well, electricity, and then the rest is, is yeah, needs to be something else. Well, what makes you think that this is possible? What, you know, is there research that you've seen uh, that you're working on that would make you optimistic that uh, by 2030, 2040, that you can have this uh, uh, decentralized, this, this localized uh, production? Yes, there are many, many uh, research teams around, around the world working on this topic of photoelectrochemical cells and uh, artificial leaves. Uh, there are many names for it um, to convert sunlight immediately into hydrogen uh, by capturing water uh, either from the atmosphere or from any water source but you could even do with moisture from the atmosphere and then you don't need to you don't need a water source you do not need uh, a connection to water reservoirs uh, there's no competition for water and there's no competition uh, for electricity so sunlight and, and water vapor from the air could be sufficient. And there are many people, well, many, there are uh, in Europe, there are several research teams working in those directions. And so I think that's the, that's the future. We should also invest in the future, not only in the uh, pieces of equipment and of technologies we have today, because yes, it has been mentioned already in this debate, there are uh, missing pieces, uh, there is the the problem of transportation if you can make it locally there's lots uh, less a problem of transportation safety leakage is also linked to that also there the way we transport hydrogen today is not optimal probably uh, uh, okay there are the pipelines but on the other hand if you need to compress hydrogen at uh, 700 bars or 350 bars uh, for trucks uh, yeah that's with the risk of leakage of course Okay, I think uh, Alison probably want to comment on that a little <laughs> later on. Enrique, uh, you know, in the Parliament as well, if we're looking at this in, in, as an investment strategy as well, you know, it, are the dynamics of who gets what uh, and which regions benefit most? And you, Keith mentioned the differences between Ireland and Germany. Are these dynamics likely to skew the the purity of a, a green hydrogen policy, which is actually in the overall interest of the climate, if not just Europe? Well, I think, of course, it is um, the task of the European Union um, uh, to implement the Green Deal and the, to achieve the climate goals um, to, uh, as soon as possible and as efficient as possible. So, of course, um, we have different tools from uh, the European Union to implement that. Um, uh, and for example, Sarah Nelen, she was um, telling a little bit about it at the beginning, but we have, of course, uh, several funds like the EU Innovation Fund, which is one of the world's 
largest funding programs for the demonstration of innovative low carbon technologies. It will provide around uh, 20 billion of support over 10 years from 2020 to 2034, the commercial demonstration of innovative low carbon technologies aiming to bring to the market industrial solutions to decarbonize Europe. And that is, of course, um, all over Europe, right? Not only in Western Germany or uh, in other specific, more specific countries. And of course, there are a large variety of other funding opportunities provided to member states to invest into innovation and carbon neutral technologies. And um, Sarah Nillen, she mentioned before also the recovery and resilience facility. Uh, I personally worked as well on the Just Transition Fund where we had that debate about uh, uh, the, what kind of hydrogen we want to support, right? Um, then the Horizon Europe program and other mechanisms we currently discuss, for example, um, from the Parliament side in the Budget Committee, where I'm responsible for the uh, Budget EU 2022 from the Greens. Uh, and these are all instruments to support investments into a hydrogen infrastructure, upscaling and innovation and research, which is very important, of course, because um, overall the Green Deal uh, in the form of the strengthening the carbon price can do a lot in that direction. The FITCO 55 package was mentioned before. We have to support the switch to carbon neutral technologies such as green hydrogen. And of course, we also need a functioning carbon border adjustment, right? Which is important to the industry as well. It will be necessary to avoid carbon leakage through importing cheap gray hydrogen from third countries as well. So we see that the European Union um, really has to take into account the whole, um, well, the, the, um, uh, all countries somehow, the perspectives of all countries and Europe uh, in general, uh, and, and the industry has to be competitive and we have to um, uh, change the energy intensive industries as well to transform it. And uh, we can create a lot of jobs with that. Uh, and I think there are lots of perspectives to do that in a good way. Thank you. I want to come back to uh, Tudor and Dennis on the research and development bit later on, but let's take some questions. And to our audience, please continue to uh, send in your questions as well. And Sarah, Henrika, and Elisa, what would be your, this is from uh, Mason, uh, uh, what would be your advice to commercial banks and financing hydrogen uh, projects? Elisa first, uh, Elisa first, uh, what would be your advice to commercial banks in financing hydrogen projects safely? Any advice? Um, any any financial mechanisms or regulations or you know just just funding measures for scaling of hydrogen really need to include hydrogen leakage and so you need to start collecting data as soon as you can on how much hydrogen is leaking on all infrastructure from compression to storage to distribution to end use and that isn't currently being done from a climate perspective for those small leaks and so that's one of the first things that we can do is start making sure the technology exists for the sensors that can detect leakage on that scale and then collecting that data as part of any initiative we pursue on hydrogen. Thank you. Enrique, anything to add there? The sustainability of economic activity should only include um, the production of green hydrogen, as I mentioned before, and I think um, that's pretty clear what uh, we should work on in Europe, I guess, as I mentioned before. 
Okay, thank you. Uh, question from Anonymous. Uh, how is the European Commission approaching the issue of leakage? I think we touched on this already, Tudor, maybe that's something else to add. Are there plans in the works to develop systems to measure it? Um, I think we sketched this earlier, but specifically, what are the plans to develop systems to measure the leakage? Tudor. Yeah, now on the, on the leakage, um, of course, first of all, it's just, uh, to a large extent linked to, to the plans we have uh, in, in research. And uh, we have a um, very strong component on pre-normative research on hydrogen with the, with the GRC and a lot of analysis of data and also uh, working on, on the various topics. Also with uh, fuel cells and hydrogen joint undertakings, there are projects which also look at these dimensions when um, in the different uh, projects for different end-use applications. So the, the issue is clearly on, on the radar, mainly, of course, started with, with the safety aspects, but uh, also with all the other aspects which were brought into, into the discussions, being, of course, uh, the climate-related aspects and uh, the economic science as well. Okay, thank you. Uh, our comment is the question uh, the group seems to be pondering is how fast can we produce rather than should we produce and uh, anybody wants to comment on that you can back on that a little later and we now have a call says uh, one uh, member of the audience we now have a call from the European Parliament to measure methane leakage do we need the same for hydrogen Enrica sorry I didn't I didn't hear the question didn't have yeah do uh, we 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 know we have a call from the European Parliament to measure methane leakage. Do we need the same for hydrogen? Well, definitely, of course, the the, the methane uh, issue is a problem. We have to we have to work on that's that's for sure. Um, I mean, one risk is that um, current just to to, uh, to 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 talk about the benefits and risks of increasing green hydrogen production, we have to take into account the risks. And one risk is, of course, that current renewable energy assets will be used to produce hydrogen and that, as a result, fossil fuels will have come back to cover the remaining electricity demand. And this is why we Greens, for example, demand that green hydrogen has to be produced with 100% additional renewable energy to avoid this problem. We have the risk that the business case for green hydrogen will simply not materialize for all applications, even if the cost for electrolysis is drastically reduced. And there are also safety concerns as well as leakage concerns, as you mentioned before. And of course, we can see as well the potentials and the benefits. We talked about the necessity of green hydrogen for reaching the climate neutrality, but there's also a lot of potential to become leaders in the global market. This is what Brian said at the very beginning, right? Develop new products and be on the forefront of innovation. And thus we can secure Europe's industrial base, create jobs and protect the environment. And I think, um, there's a lot of potential in that as well. Okay, uh, I'll comment. Low carbon and renewable H2 require different production infrastructure. Why, uh, why, do, why do we do the first to get the second? And I think we touched on that already. And a uh, comment from Andrea, the role of the upcoming gas package has already been mentioned. Uh, what are your ideas on how to use this uh, to make uh, the, the so that by the shaped hydrogen market as green and renewable as possible. So uh, the role of the upcoming gas package has already mentioned. Uh, how do we make the uh, the hydrogen market as green and renewable as possible? Uh, Keith. 
Oh, well, I guess one way to look at this would be to say that uh, the gas package is about unabated gas. So we need to be careful that as the conversation goes forward, uh, you know, hydrogen is often seen to be, let's say, a, a champagne solution. It's something rare. It's something that we should we should focus on certain sectors. But increasingly, we see people saying, my product can be hydrogen ready. My gas pipeline can be hydrogen ready. My gas boiler can be hydrogen ready. I think we need to take this with a certain amount of skepticism. Uh, hydrogen will be uh, difficult to produce. It won't be abundant in the ways that many claim. So this means that we need to target our, our, our use of hydrogen. And we should be very skeptical when people say that, don't worry, I'm fully compatible with the net zero future because I have the potential to put hydrogen in my device. We need to make sure that these people and these uh, uses actually have a mandate to use hydrogen and they're actually a sensible use of hydrogen. I think using electricity directly in heating is far more efficient than using hydrogen in heating and it removes the chance for gas lock-in. If we overinvest in hydrogen-ready devices, such as hydrogen pipelines, and we don't have hydrogen to fill those pipelines in the future, we'll remain with gas. And this will be gas lock-in. So we need to be very careful about how this debate is used and how we separate unabated gas, we reduce unabated gas, and we prioritize hydrogen for where it's needed and where it reduces emissions efficiently. Okay, hydrogen, the champion solution, that would be my uh, advertising campaign, I think, to, to encourage Europeans to take it up. Nobody understands what it means, but uh, they like the sound of it. Uh, Alyssa, they, we, you've heard a lot of uh, from the different dimensions here. Uh, are, do you think that we're really ready to, to, to get this measurement done quickly, to be able to uh, get the right dashboard, the framework for measurement uh, in place? Uh, at the right moment, or do you think that five, ten years from now we're going to be looking back and saying, "Yeah, we should have done more on this"? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I think, yeah, it's so easy to always look back and think you could do more, but I think we, the science is is very robust. The science has been developing over the past 20 years in terms of knowing that hydrogen is an indirect greenhouse gas. So in terms of the scientific understanding that it could contribute to the climate if too much leaks is very clear. Um, the question just remains of how much hydrogen is actually leaking. And so we need to start measuring these hydrogen leaks as soon as we can. And the good news is this is not a pervasive problem right now, like methane leakage with natural gas, where we're running around the world trying to clean up leaky pipes. This is a preventative issue. This is something that we are trying to ensure doesn't become an issue. So I think we know enough right now to start looking into technologies to start measuring these leaks at the scales needed to know whether or not this is an issue. And if it is an issue, how big of an issue could it become if we don't monitor and minimize these leaks going forward? Thank you. Dennis, you wanted to speak about uh, hydrogen production and the need to have some baseload demand in industrial production. Dennis. Coming back to the so the discussion of uh, additional additionality, uh, time correlation of uh, hydrogen production in electrolyzers uh, with renewables, uh, because uh, today the most important potential for uh, green hydrogen uh, lies in uh, industrial use, where in those applications usually uh, they require a stable uh, hydrogen uh, consumption, and so uh, all the management of the hydrogen production that produced directly from renewables with the demand that needs to be stable is really a difficult equation uh, to be solved uh, today. So uh, there is always the question about trying to solve all the say, issues of hydrogen at the same time, but probably there is a, a good way to do it in a kind of hybrid mode. And so that uh, at least in the, at the beginning, uh, we allow some uh, exemptions on the type of constraints that we put on hydrogen production from electrolysis, 
and then that we actually uh, reinforce those measures to make sure that everything is 100% uh, green, 100% uh, produced at the time of production of renewables. Uh, because um, the risk is that uh, we will not uh, develop uh, and materialize all the projects that are being discussed today um, uh, quick enough to actually really ramp up the industry, reduce the cost, and really uh, have um, hydrogen and green hydrogen uh, deployed in, uh, in many locations and in many industries. So I think uh, we should not always think about solving all the same issues at the same time. That's the general message. Sure, I'm guessing that you would agree with that and that we have to balance this progress in a way which makes uh, the long-term goal achievable rather than wait for, for uh, the champagne solution to be popped out of the bottle uh, in a hurry. Yeah, in, uh, indeed, what we try is to, to develop sustainable solutions for, for the energy system and for hydrogen as well. And it's clear that hydrogen, we don't want to have any form of greenwashing. We want to secure that uh, renewable hydrogen is for true renewable hydrogen and uh, with uh, almost zero carbon emissions. At the same time, uh, we want to ensure that uh, uh, electrolyzers and hydrogen producers have access to, to renewable electricity. We want to invest and to scale up the production of uh, renewable electricity. And in the end, to make sure that the whole energy system becomes uh, more uh, more efficient and more decarbonized. From this perspective, also the hydrogen and gas market decarbonization package, which uh, I was referring to, and I see it's also, of course, attracting a lot of uh, interest as it is part of the second phase of our Fit for 55 uh, package uh, towards the end of this year. And where we had also public consultation, which ended uh, in, in June. And it's clear that uh, Everybody is now more or less on board on uh, the concept of system integration, of the necessity to better balance the operation and the planning, actually both planning and operation of electricity, gas, hydrogen, heat infrastructures, in a way which to make the, the system more efficient and to put all the pieces of this much more complex puzzle together. And this is a difference from the past. We, we move in an era where the energy system is not uh, so simple, if I may say so, compared to the past, and where we have a much higher range of solutions. We move from a 20 pieces puzzle to 1,000 pieces puzzle, and also with 1,000 actors on top of that. And we need to make this uh, working well, and also looking at the future where new technologies will come in. And I'm very happy it was referenced to, to that. That's what I want to ask Strategy. Yeah, I want to ask you specifically about yeah. this because the investment strategy from the European Union in terms of uh, research and innovation um, is, is strong and there's a lot of money there going this direction. From, from your awareness and from what Johan said uh, earlier, you know, uh, we're not looking for a golden uh, solution, something which is going to solve all these problems, but you know, these new technologies, to, uh, what are you aware of in the pipeline that will give you optimism uh, about a, a strong uh, change in te technological capacity uh, in the next 10, 15, 20 years? Now, we, we already see the, the results of investing over the last decade in, in research and innovation, particularly on hydrogen, on electrolyzers, on fuel cells, and uh, even in other applications uh, like turbines and so on. So these this, uh, things st start to bring uh, results and we'll invest more in, uh, in demonstration, in innovation. It's a lot to, to continue to be done, for example, plus new technologies, uh, so low, uh, lower uh, LTR level, which will need to be also developed uh, in, in the past, like this uh, photoelectrochemical cells, but 
all uh, other options which we may have and we may need to look on in relation to biomass and so on, which will need to, to secure that we have the mix of uh, renewable sources well uh, integrated into the energy system and contributing to the carbon neutrality by 2050. Plus, there are also others like carbon capture from the air. And so, so there are really a huge range of technologies. And now some are central level, some are distributed level. Many are linked to, 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 to storage and how to, to balance the more variable uh, power we are going to have in the grid. So all these elements have to, to be brought together and the research goes in, uh, of course, more innovative ones, while at the same time trying to demonstrate to move ahead with first-of-a-kind projects and supporting the industry in scaling up like we do for hydrogen with the Clean Hydrogen Alliance. And where earlier, I think Sarah mentioned that we have the 40 gigawatts target, but the industry already identified more than that in terms of potential projects already for, 20, for 2030. And with a, a clear alignment also with our view on the role of renewable hydrogen, because over 85% of the identified projects were in terms of production, were on renewable hydrogen production. So, again, uh, this is, uh, uh, I think, a positive uh, development to, to okay. move on together. Dennis, when you listen to this, uh, and are are you convinced by the innovation capacity that Europe has uh, to uh, change this market? You know, as a, a commercial uh, company, you, know, you you will invest in in new markets as they emerge, or new technologies as they they come on. Uh, how, how do you see this? You know, what gives you optimism? What gives you a sense of caution? I, I think the European Commission has already done a wonderful job um, because this has allowed that's, that's really... A comment we don't always hear. Yes, but uh, because actually we have developed uh, our technology on the basis of European projects. Um, what we need today is a market to actually deploy electrolyzers under commercial conditions. And that's all the topic, but how do you define green hydrogen? How do you incentivize it into a market and give it like a, a premium for a green hydrogen? And then the rest will follow as well. So you need actually to uh, fund all the, um, say, innovation through direct funding, but there will be a lot of innovation and cost reduction and efficiency improvement that will come also by developing the market. And you need to have a right balance uh, between the the two uh, directions of how you can actually stimulate the market. But actually, already today, we decided about major investments in Belgium and in Spain uh, to uh, add electrolyzer uh, production capacity because we see that the market is responding to um, everything which is happening today uh, in Europe. What we miss is really some uh, specific pieces of regulation which are not yet in place, and so those projects they cannot reach a final investment decision today because they rely on this definition of green hydrogen and um, let's say um, hydrogen used in the, the transport application, etc., etc. That's where all the projects are blocked uh, today. Thank you, Enrique. Can the European Parliament step in as a market maker here, uh, give the definition which uh, industry needs to to move forward with this? 
Well, of course, um, it would be great, but of course, we are in a close dialogue to the to the industry as well, how to put, to put that uh, efforts together. But I think um, I'm optimistic as well. For example, we, there are so much things we can still do. All gray hydrogen, for example, that is used today in Europe, for example, in the chemical industry should be replaced with green hydrogen. And we see some very promising pilot projects to produce steel, for example, with hydrogen in Sweden or in Austria. There are promising pilot projects projects, for example, in Linz, where H2 is produced with hydropower, providing a stable supply. We have heavy investments in Sweden into hydrogen capacity to produce green steel, for example. So lots of uh, examples where um, we can really uh, have, uh, where we have a lot uh, great potential and using excess electricity, for example, from solar power for long-term storage will also be effective if we bring down the cost, the cost of electrolysis and invest into the necessary infrastructure. I think that's a good uh, example as well how we can work together, industry and politics. And when, when it comes to transport, we don't know yet which uh, low-carbon technology will prevail, but hydrogen will definitely have to play a role in maritime shipping and long-haul transport in general. So I think um, actually lots of points that can um, look into the future uh, in an optimistic way. But of course, um, there were some warm words uh, towards the commissions, that um, uh, I think we can even do more and even be better, more ambitious. And I think the Fit for 55 package has to be much more ambitious than um, the the first uh, draft we have seen till now. So let's see what happens in that regard. Thank you. I want to bring uh, Johan and Elisa back in just a moment to talk about some measurement issues. Uh, but uh, Keith, on green steel, the steel industry is uh, something of a poster child for for how to get uh, you know the transformation from a, a big, dirty, energy-consuming uh, industry into a relatively uh, eco-friendly uh, system and, and part of that is localizing the energy production as well and uh, like Anika said that you know there are good examples now of how what we're calling green steel is being produced is this a, a system which should be a template for how uh, Europe decarbonizes and localizes its, its hydrogen production so steel is a very nice example, actually. So you end up having a very, very large single consumer of hydrogen. The scales can be quite large as well. So we need to, uh, again, prioritize hydrogen where possible. And steel is a pretty insensible one to do it. You can kick coal out of the system and you can start making steel in almost a zero carbon way. So all this is fantastic. But the volumes of hydrogen are very large. So we have the project in Sweden. It's very, very nice. It's very good. But we have other projects that have been announced. So one actually was announced today in Ghent, uh, another one in the uh, Netherlands a few weeks ago, and there's one or two in Germany as well. But when you read the fine print, what they actually say is that we will build a plant that will burn natural gas and we will use unabated natural gas. And then at some point in the future, if hydrogen becomes commercial, then we will switch to this. So I think it's always important to read the fine print and make sure that people who are using unabated natural gas in a steel process don't get branded as green steel. You need renewable hydrogen in the system and the whole steel has to be made with renewable hydrogen before you can get the label green steel. So it's very important that we don't maybe uh, wish for an outcome, but don't actually develop the hydrogen capacity to actually make that, that outcome possible. So again, it's, it's all about the detail and how we make that transition across and what we label the products along the way. But certainly anything produced from unabated gas should not get the, 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 the quality label of zero carbon because it won't be zero carbon. 
Thank you. I was in uh, Ghent, upstate New York, at the weekend, which is always surprising to find the, the Belgian names uh, there too. When they call a bear market, is literally the bear is at the market. It's a very uh, different environment than uh, Ghent, Belgium. Um, so, Alyssa, you wanted to speak a little bit about methods that have been developed, and, and Johan remarked on this too. About uh, you know, Johan, you said the natural resources, uh, methane, hydrogen, you know, they can interfere with uh, leakage management, and Alyssa. You said there are lots of different methods that that can be used here as well. So you know we're talking about definitions of what green hydrogen is, but then we're going to have a, a fight over what uh, definitions uh, are are useful for leakage as well. Alyssa, how do we how do we clarify what we mean by leakage and how do we measure it correctly? So I think there's a lot of lessons that we've learned over the past decade from measuring methane from oil and gas that can be applied to hydrogen. And so I think that is a really good starting point. There's a lot of different techniques that have been identified, but also just analytical methods of taking the data that you measure and translating that into fluxes and where it's coming from and then tracing it to its sources that can be applied to hydrogen. So it's early days for hydrogen leakage um, from a climate perspective, as opposed to just looking at specific applications that could have a safety concern. So there's a lot to be done in this space and hopefully we will scale that up in the curves, but there's a lot of lessons that we've learned from um, measuring methane that can be applied to hydrogen. And so I'm very confident that we do have the knowledge needed to know exactly how to scale up measurements of hydrogen leakage. Thank you. Johan, do you share Alyssa's uh, confidence that we can transfer this uh, measurement? Well, yes, but uh, I would like to to add a bit uh, different different viewpoint. Uh, so the problem often occurs with the final the final uh, consumer. Like, take uh, gasoline. Most of the gasoline is spoiled by uh, people using uh, the gasoline, not by the oil companies. Well, or, for gasoline especially, yeah? also natural gas, etc. And the more you distribute it, the finer the network. Uh, finally, and the, and the consumers, uh, then you get. Uh, very distributed uh, spoilage and at the end you you get uh, confusion with uh, natural sources of, of methane for instance uh, like from animals from bovine animals also from from bacteria from soil uh, from many many sources so it can be very complex and i agree we need to maximize uh, the use and minimize the spoilage and the leakage but uh, yeah we we should compare things on a comparable level and um, well, mankind has always been spoiling things and <laughs> it will be difficult to avoid it. If only we get rid of those pesky humans, we'll be fine. Okay, we've uh, a few minutes left. So uh, to our audience, uh, please send in your questions. You've uh, uh, last chance to do that. And uh, one question uh, coming from Anonymous, this is based on what Lisa said about the unknowns, does the panel feel as strongly about the potential uh, for green hydrogen? Um, so I'll scan across here. Tudor, do you still feel as strongly about the potential for green hydrogen? Yeah, definitely, definitely so. Yeah, it's uh, it's clear that uh, we we may need, uh, of course, to measure. We need uh, all all these things, but there is practically no way to to ensure the carbonization of the molecules of the energy system without having renewable hydrogen uh, as a key component of it so and uh, 
directly or for direct use, also for, for storage. And we see analysis even in, in this field, even uh, by, by the IEA, that over 20, over 48 hours, when we speak about gigawatt hours, it's uh, hydrogen can be an effective solution for, for storage. Um, and uh, uh, already, already today, and also for decarbonizing the different sectors of, of the economy, including what was referred to as the steel, but first of all, now the refinery uh, and the petrochemical and the fertilizers industry is definitely uh, will uh, will need uh, renewable hydrogen. It will be extremely important and important to to mention also that it's something which gradually will become more and more competitive even with other forms of low carbon hydrogen. It's something to, to bear in mind and which independent analysis from many uh, stakeholders and from many analysts and international organizations show as well. Okay, thank you. I, I'm guessing, Alyssa, your, your research, your point is, is really not to say, look, this is a bad thing. It's to say, look, we need to go with caution, we need to measure, and we need to do this the right way from the beginning, not, uh, not to, to have uh, buyer's regret uh, further down the line. Alyssa? Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. It, you know, hydrogen can be a really incredible solution for um, a lot of our really difficult energy challenges, especially with hard to abate sectors um, in, in heavy industry, for example, and, and long haul transportation. Um, so this is just a note of caution and something that we need to put on the radar to make sure that we maximize the climate benefits of deploying hydrogen by minimizing the leak. Thank you. Uh, one other question, which I'm not going to put to tutor, but is uh, how will the European Commission measure leakage? I think we, we covered that and there's still some work to be done uh, on that as well. So we're pretty close to time. Um, I'm going to just ask each of our panelists uh, to wrap up with their, their concluding uh, remark. we say with 30 seconds, 60 seconds, uh, we can allow you. Um, and just to thank all our panelists also for their, their patience today. We have a lot of uh, speakers on the panel today. I hope I've been fair with uh, trying to balance out uh, time for, for comments as well. But your parting shots, uh, let's start with the top of the screen with Tudor, your, your final remark. No, I'm, um, I'm again uh, very uh, pleased to, to be part of the discussion today. And uh, I also so different angles from the different uh, stakeholders and industry and i think it's very important to to have this dialogue to to keep it and to to make sure we address all the aspects in in this journey hydrogen as it was said it is uh, still in uh, in early beginning uh, in terms of deployment even if we know since many years about the technology of producing it so we need now to to move ahead and to scale up and it's important to take care of all the aspects from the beginning, it's uh, it's much easier, and at the same time to develop an entire regulatory framework in balance with the developing of the market in a way which drives the market and uh, which takes into account the technological developments and uh, really not to stop, but on the contrary to be progressive and to ensure that we bring hydrogen to its potential in uh, decarbonizing the energy system. Thank you, Keith. Let's go to you. Thanks, Brian. 
Uh, I guess if I had one advice to give, it's that when we talk about green hydrogen, we don't do it in isolation. We try to bring renewables into the conversation as much as possible. Hydrogen doesn't produce itself. It is a product of renewable electricity. So if you want green hydrogen in the future, we need to concentrate and focus on renewables, renewables, renewables. And that's why the additionality point is so important. If you look at the European's clean planet for all, in 2050, electricity uh, production in Europe is expected to double. And nearly all of that increase is going directly to hydrogen and hydrogen products. So this is why we need additionality. We need to get serious about the amount of renewables we need. And we need to start deploying them. If we don't have the renewables, we won't have the hydrogen and we'll be stuck with unabated gas and suboptimal decarbonization. Also, I would highly recommend that wherever we have renewable electricity and we can use it directly in our homes and business, that should always be the go-to. So we shouldn't forget about grids as well. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, let's go to Dennis. Yes, but um, I first thank you for the invitation. I, I think this uh, this debate has been very uh, very interesting. Uh, probably to add something about the monitoring, we have uh, spoken a lot about the leakage. Let's not forget to monitor the rest of the hydrogen uh, being actually uh, produced today and consumed by the industry, uh, because also uh, there there's uh, probably a, a lack of um, data about the real quantities which are consumed today. Um, on, on the rest, uh, we have the general impression that uh, everything is really going into the right direction. But the thing that we are also having those discussions right now is a good sign that uh, hydrogen is taken seriously by all the stakeholders. And this debate is uh, growing the, the industry. And we need to make sure indeed that uh, for the public perception uh, that we are doing the right things. Uh, we are obviously uh, very much convinced uh, at, uh, at our level. But uh, generally speaking, it's really going to the right direction. We expect a lot from the regulation that will be put in place uh, in the coming uh, in the coming months, uh, because this will really uh, kickstart quite a lot of projects in the, uh, let's say, hundreds of megawatt scale. And this will uh, have a lot of uh, impact also on the development of the European industry, uh, which is also one of the major, um, I'd say, objective of, of developing this hydrogen strategy. And, and we will respond uh, to uh, the markets being stimulated by, uh, by regulation. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, let's go to Johan. Yeah, well, I also enjoyed the discussion. Uh, hydrogen is a very simple molecule, uh, but it's difficult to uh, produce, to store, to transport, etc. So let's start with the technologies we have today. There's good technology, but we should not stop doing research and find solutions for the remaining issues like the leakage, like uh, the problematic uh, transportation and storage. So, but I'm confident uh, there are enough uh, researchers around the world and especially in Europe who are able to, to solve those issues and to make it really a beautiful golden technology, uh, not only champagne, but also gold. Thank you. And research we trust. Enrico, over to you, your last comment. What a wonderful invitation. It was really interesting. And uh, of course, I think we will need green hydrogen, which is produced with 100% additional re uh, renewable energy for the decarbonization of our economy in some energy intensive industry, long haul transport, as well as the future flexibility needs of our energy system can hardly be decarbonized without it. And the public and private investments into intimation as well economies of scale have to reduce the cost of electrolyzers and increase efficiency. 
and the potential leakage of hydrogen during production, storage and usage has to be closely studied in order to minimize it in the future, as we discussed before. And finally, we should clearly reject the calls for blue hydrogen as a trans transitional technology. We should not reinvest into fossil fuels such as natural gas and the danger of stranded assets and high carbon lock-in effects together with the problem of methane leakage in the production of natural gas, gas is too high. So I think um, there are still some very interesting issues we can work together in the future. And thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Alyssa, just on the road here from me in Washington, uh, last remarks. When we talk about hydrogen's role in decarbonizing the economy, a lot of discussions, including this one, are about hydrogen's potential to be carbon neutral. But even if it is, it doesn't necessarily mean it is climate neutral. And this is something that's really important to keep in mind. So hydrogen itself is a potent indirect greenhouse gas that could undermine the climate benefits of decarbonization efforts if we don't pay close enough attention to how much is leaking into the atmosphere. But we have an opportunity right now to make sure that this issue never becomes an issue. Thank you so much. That's uh, also to our team that uh, you can't see, but uh, we're working closely with them uh, throughout the, the production. Uh, Zoran, Malta, Matea, Anna, and uh, Tamara, thanks for all that. And also to the Environmental Defense Fund for their support uh, today. Wherever you are uh, today, uh, thank you for all your questions and for your participation, and I wish you a good day. I'm Brian McGuire.